I worked as a dispatcher for about four years. I always wanted to do something involving emergency or rescue services, and since my mom was a dispatcher years before I was born, she convinced me to apply. You have to go through many tests to make sure you can mentally handle those types of calls. I definitely felt like I was capable of doing so, and the fact that my mother encouraged it as well gave me the confidence to go through with it. It's definitely not for everyone, though. And I did end up leaving as it wore on me with some of the calls you would get, but I wanted to leave before it completely broke me. Here are some of the few stories that have always stuck with me. I got a call around midnight or so from a guy that was freaking out, saying his girlfriend was bleeding and that I needed to send an ambulance. I started getting his address and collected more information about what had happened. He said they'd been partying and he passed out and when he woke up, he noticed she was on the floor in the kitchen and was unresponsive. And that's when he also noticed the blood on her chest and stomach. I started asking what she was last doing, walked him through checking for a pulse or breathing, going through a few steps that we had to try and help. He seemed pretty calm, but concerned. I could hear heavy breathing coming from him, but he was able to follow my instructions thoroughly. I told him to apply pressure on the wound to try and stop the bleeding, all while trying to keep him calm. Other than sounding calm on the phone, his speech also seemed to be a little slurred, too, but as the call progressed, it seemed to clear up and he started freaking out more. While I was instructing him to apply pressure, I tried to get him to remember what all happened before he fell asleep. He started explaining his party and then seemed to start noticing that the kitchen was in disarray. He said things seemed to be knocked over, and so he started to worry that someone had broken in. I asked if there was anyone else at this party or expected, to which he said no. He started breathing faster and there were occasional whimpers in his voice. I asked him to keep talking to me and tell me what was going on when he said that he had blood on himself, too. My first thought was that it was probably her blood since he was supposed to be covering the wounds, but you also have to be thorough. So I'd asked him if he noticed any wounds on himself, or if he was in any pain, and he said no. He then started naming off where the blood was, including his hands, arms, chest, pants, and even socks. And that's when he started breaking down harder. I could hear him crying, but he wasn't responding to me. When he finally did, all he said was, I think I did it. I asked him to elaborate, and he started crying and said, I think I killed my girl, and started sobbing once more. I tried to keep him calm to make sure he didn't do anything dangerous, but it wasn't working. He was screaming that he did it and that he didn't deserve to live and that he didn't want to live without her. That's when I heard the smacking sound, like the phone was dropped or being laid down, 
and I could hear him sobbing and crying, but I was not getting a response. The police finally showed up, as I heard them confirm on the radio, and I could hear them enter the apartment. I later learned that he did, in fact, kill her, sadly. Their party was just the two of them getting high on something they had never used before. He'd most likely started hallucinating, and it got physical, causing him to stab her and then pass out in the living room. Unfortunately, he had to find out that he was the one to cause this, and would live with it for the rest of his life. I could only hope that he somehow found some peace after such a traumatic event. Some of the worst calls I got were the ones from children, and this one was actually part of the reason that I ended up leaving. I got a call from a kid late one night that was just about whispering into the phone. When I first answered, I wasn't getting a response, but I could hear people talking in the background and sounds like the phone was rubbing against something, like clothing or a hand or something to that effect. We got that often, like people were trying to hide or mask the phone, so it's something we really paid attention to. After a few call-outs... I finally got a response from a little boy who started by saying, Is this 911? I confirmed and asked him what was wrong slash what he needed. He said in a calm voice that there's a man in our house and he's scary. So I started asking him more questions. Like, did they break in? Did he know the man? Did he see him? What did he look like? And, of course, if he was alone. Unfortunately, we've gotten calls from kids that were way too young to be left home alone, but they were. He confirmed his mom was there, but explained that they were in the living room watching a movie when someone started banging on the door. He said she told him to go to his room and not come out until she told him he could. And, as he walked to his room... He heard the door start to open and a man yelling. Scared, he grabbed his mom's cell phone and hid in his closet with the phone. At least the kid was smart about it. So, I asked him if he thought he was in danger, or if his mom was, and he again said he was scared because he could hear them screaming. After a while, though, I could also hear their voices getting louder. We have to send someone out regardless since we got a call, but it gave more of a sense of urgency as well. The problem, though, was that the kid didn't know his address, so while we tried to ping the cell phone to get a location, I tried to get more info from the kid. Like, did he know part of the address? Any familiar buildings or places nearby? Things like that. He started talking about a grocery store nearby when the yelling got louder and I could hear a lot of crashes. The kid instantly stopped talking, and I think we were both listening to what was happening. Then the sounds got louder and I could hear a woman yelling, Stop and please. I could also hear the kid starting to do that little whimper right before they started to cry, so I tried to get his attention to continue getting the address but then the phone fell silent. I again tried calling out to him, 
when all I could hear were some thuds like someone stomping. And then I heard a slight gasp on the line. I started to worry that this little boy had been found, but I also didn't hear him say anything either. Thankfully, we were able to get the location based on the cell phone towers and the description of the grocery store, so we had an officer on the way. I stayed on the line, though, so I can make sure the kid is okay and let him know as well. After a bit more shuffling sound, I heard the kid whispering asking if I was still there. He then explained that it sounded like someone was trying to come into his room, so he hid in the chest that was in the bottom of his closet. So I asked him if he thought they were still in there, and he said it sounded like the front door had slammed shut and then asked if he should get out. I told him to stay there to be safe as long as he could breathe, and to make sure the guy wasn't there. He said okay, and then stayed for about 30 seconds or so. Again, this kid seemed so calm throughout this, when I wouldn't expect a kid to be. He then asked if he should get out, and I asked him if he heard or could see anything, to which he said he couldn't and that's when I started hearing a groaning sound. I asked him if he knew what it was, and he said, I think mommy's hurt. I told him to wait before leaving to make sure the man wasn't still there, and I again heard a groan and then something I couldn't make out. And that's when the kid said, She said Smarty. That's my nickname. I again tried to ask if he knew if the man was gone, but I didn't get a response. I just heard the shuffling again. Then I could hear the groaning louder, but no response from the kid, and now I can hear her calling out, Smarty. She definitely sounded like she was in pain, and probably crying. That's when the kid picked up the phone again and said, Mommy's bleeding, and I'm scared, and I don't know what to do. So I had to walk this, like, six-year-old through finding where his mom was bleeding, which turned out to be her face and head, and walk him through grabbing a towel to stop the bleeding, but explain to him not to move her head in case she broke her neck or something. For being scared, I had never talked to a more calm child. He sounded like he was going to cry, but he never did. He stayed focused the whole time, he said he heard the cops show up, and he let them in, and then the call ended. Luckily, my friend's husband was one of the police that showed up, and he told me the mom had a few broken ribs and an eye socket fractured, but she lived, and he said that it kind of tugged at him too, because even when they arrived, he was quick to lead them directly to his mom and explain what had happened, and he did without crying a bit. This kid had seen something like this before. Maybe not as bad, but the fact that his mom told him to go to his room, he grabbed the phone and then stayed calm, told me everything. Turns out, the guy that did this was an ex-boyfriend of his mom's, too. At the time of that last call, I had just come back from maternity leave, and those few months back seemed to be the worst. Anytime I got a call about a child or a spouse calling for their spouse, it really messed with my head, so I had to quit. 
It made sense to me, though, as I was talking to my mom about this, and she said that she quit after having me due to similar thoughts, and was worried that it might happen to me as well. It's a powerful job, but also one that can be tough, so if you have a strong mental capacity, I would always encourage people to do it because they always need more help. But those calls where you can really make a difference are always rewarding at the end of the day. Just be careful out there, and be kind to others. It was my sixth birthday, and my party had just ended. We had cake, pizza, and played games. Typical American birthday party. I lived with my mom and her boyfriend, his name was Steve, and for my birthday they got me one of those plastic Fisher-Price playsets, the ones that were like four foot tall and had a small slide, small enough to fit in my room. I was extremely excited about this because it was exactly what I wanted, and I was sure that it was the greatest invention since sliced bread. The playset was set up right by my door in front of my bed. Now, before I go on to the actual part of the story you want to read, I need to give a little background about the house that I lived in. From what I know, at least. To begin with, the house was an old blue colonial house in upstate New York. The house was like every other house in the neighborhood, and since Steve had just got a promotion at work, there was constantly work being done on the house. Basically, a complete remodel while we lived there. The only thing I didn't like about the house was that you couldn't get into the attic and, for some reason, bats kept getting in there. And at six years old, you don't like bats. My mom tucked me into bed after my birthday at about 9pm, a little later than usual. I remember waking up a few times that night, because I was really excited to use the playset in the morning. I didn't get to play with it much that day because of the assembly. One of the times I woke up, I remember looking at the playset when I saw two shadows, a boy and a girl and they looked like they were talking to each other. As a child, I didn't want to be scared, so I rationalized this as the shadows of the trees playing tricks on my mind. That's what my mom would have said. I managed to go back to sleep that night and didn't really think much of it the next day. My birthday is in June, so I usually don't have class on my birthday. This meant that I could spend the day playing with my friends. I didn't think about the shadows I saw the night before at all. I basically forgot that it happened. Until the next night. My usual bedtime was 8pm, and my mom was pretty strict on this matter. So, I was showered, in my pajamas, and in bed by then. I was lying in bed when I had a strong feeling that something was watching me. I looked to the wall between my door and the playset, 
and the shadows were there again. This time, I paid more attention to it while I was frozen in fear in my bed. The shadow children seemed to be talking, but I still couldn't hear them. It also seemed as if they were looking at each other, but it's hard to sense 3D direction from a two-dimensional shadow. I screamed for my mom, and she ran into my room and turned my light on. At this point, the shadows disappeared. My mom then let me sleep in her bed that night, which she never let me do, and she assumed that I'd had a nightmare. Every night from then on, when I would look at the wall at night, those shadows would be there. When this would happen, I would call for my mom and the cycle repeated. During this time, Steve and my mom would argue a lot. I wasn't sure why, but I know I didn't notice it at first. The house had also gone into full remodeling, where almost half of the house would always have something being done to it. I wished for school, and this was back when school was fun and all your friends would be there. I hated spending any time in the house, and I would try to go to my grandma's whenever possible. The cycle repeated for a while, and I'm not really sure what my mom thought about me telling her that ghost shadow people were in my room every night. I begged her to leave the hallway light on every night, hoping that the light would scare away the shadows. She obliged, but the light never did anything, and I would yell for her every night. This continued for a while, but then one night, something changed. Lying in bed, something felt different. I wasn't sure if I had built up some sort of tolerance to the shadow people that were in my room at night, in the same place doing nothing but silently talking to each other, or if I was just dumb. That night, I decided that I didn't want to wake my mom up for some reason. I decided I would be brave enough to walk right past the shadows to my mom's room. I think it might be important to remember that whenever my mom would come by, these shadows would disappear. I still don't know why. I walked past the shadows, and nothing happened. I was then in the hallway with the light right above me, and my mom's room to the left. I remember looking up at the light and then back to my mom's room, and then back to the light. I did this a few times, and I remember just staring into the light. I'm not sure why, but I was drawn to that light. And this is where the story starts to get a little confusing, but I will try my best to explain to you what I can. This next part of the story, it will be what I can remember as of today. Then... I will try to fill in some blanks with what my family remembers and could tell me. After looking at that light for some reason, I decided that I didn't want to wake my mom up, which was weird because I'd never cared before. I went back to bed and the next thing I remember is sitting in the living room watching TV. There was construction all around me, and plastic covers on the couches so that none of the drywall or new paint got on them. I remember I was sitting on the floor and 
I was just watching static on the TV. To me, this memory feels like an out-of-body experience. I feel like I was there, but I didn't feel in control. These memories are like a flash to me. I have them, but nothing in between. I only have one more memory being in that house. I was in my room, looking out of my window down to the driveway. It was nighttime, and my mom had asked her friend's mother to come over. Her name was Danielle, but everyone called her Dee. I remember watching her pull into the driveway and giving my mom a hug. I could hear them for some reason, and this also seemed like an out-of-body experience. I heard Dee say that there was a boy and a girl spirit in the house, but that they weren't a problem. The problem was that there was a dark and evil entity in the house, and that it wanted me. Dee and my mom then proceeded to burn Sage in the house. I assumed I went to bed, but when I woke up, I was at my grandma's house, and it was many days after the light incident. I don't know the exact amount of time. I felt fine when I woke up, and I don't think that I even noticed anything different. I often spent the night at my grandma's house. I had my own assumptions about what had happened, but I never really talked to my mom about it until I was 16. When I woke up at my grandma's house, my mom had told me that we were moving out of Steve's house, that they were breaking up and that I wouldn't be going back. My mom would just get my stuff. As I stated earlier, I talked to my mom about this in detail when I was 16. The memories had bothered me for so long, and I wanted answers. I told my mom the exact story that's written above, and my mom gave me a confused look when I told her about the part with Dee. She told me I wasn't in the house. My mom proceeded to tell me how I'd become more and more distant as we lived in that house, and then one day we were eating dinner and I just passed out, head into the plate, like out of a movie. My mom said that I had a high fever and looked ill, and my mom is the kind of person who believes in the supernatural, and I think when she passed out, she decided to accept that the ghost stories I was telling her weren't in my head. And this is when she decided to call Dee, who was known around town as being psychic. Dee told my mom to immediately get me out of the house and that she would come over. My mom drove me to my grandmother's and went back to the house when Dee showed up. I wasn't in the house, but I was able to recall what Dee had done and said without my mother telling me. My mother also told me that she didn't tell Dee anything about what I had said, just that I had said something was there. Since I was sick, my grandma kept a close watch on me that night. My grandma doesn't really believe in ghosts, but when I talked to her about it, she said it was a weird night. She said I was making weird noises, having trouble sleeping, and I had a high fever, but then it just stopped. Like one moment all of my symptoms went away, I went to bed, and that's when I remember waking up. As I sit here and write this story, I'm a 21-year-old senior in college, 
Well, not anymore, I wrote this a while ago. But I every so often think back to these events, and I'm just... confused. I have no answers. I try to come up with my own conclusions, but I can never think of a rational one. I have a hypothesis for what happened, but I won't share that with you now. I want you to come to your own conclusions. Maybe someone else has gone through this same type of situation. That was the point of writing this story. I'm hoping that someday, someone will read this and be able to help me. It would be easy to say that I was possessed or something, but that seems too unreal. If the memories I have weren't so vivid, it would be hard for me to believe this story. Hell, it's hard to believe with the memories, but I assure you that this happened. As a dispatcher, you get to hear some really disturbing and high-pressure calls. I was thankful that I did well under pressure and on time crunches, but... It's definitely not for everyone. The worst ones for me were the abductions and kidnapping calls. It is always a critical situation, as you don't know what the person's intentions are, so you have to get the information as fast as possible. Sadly, there were also times where the caller is unable to talk or doesn't know where they are, so... You have to try to figure out by clues they may give, or by tracking them. One of the worst ones I heard was a girl getting abducted while she was on the phone with me. I got a call around 9 or 10 at night, right about when your sit-in restaurants were closing for the evening. The girl said she was walking home from work at a local restaurant, and she thought she was being followed. I asked her to explain where she was, and she started to give me the intersection, and then proceeded to tell me that she was going to take the bus, but was feeling uncomfortable about the guy that had approached the stop too, so she had decided to walk away, but the man continued to follow. She said that she had stopped at an intersection, and crossed before the light turned for her to see if he would follow, and he did. I asked if she knew what he looked like, but... She said all she could tell was that he was white and had a short beard due to the hood that he was wearing. I told her that I had some units on their way and tried to get as much information as possible in case something happened. And that's when I started to hear her scream. It's never expected, and it never gets easier, but you have to remain calm and still try to talk to the person or listen for more information. All I could hear were things like, It's him. It's him. Somebody, please, please help me. Let me go. Honestly, the screams never go away in your head. And then I heard a crashing or scraping sound that I would later learn was the sound of the phone falling to the ground. Her screams sounded further and further away, and then I could hear a car speeding off. Since it was a cell phone, though, and she had given me the intersection nearby, we were able to get the cops there quickly, but sadly, they only found the phone nearby. I was devastated. However, 
I learned later on that we did have a good Samaritan that called in, because he had heard screaming outside from the apartment complex he lived in, and he saw a woman being forced into a vehicle. He ran outside to try and stop them, but they were already driving off, but he did manage to get the type of car in most of the license plate. We were able to track down a vehicle not long after matching the description that was speeding on the highway. They ended up exiting and nearly wrapping the car around a light post, and then fled from the vehicle. One guy was caught, but there was apparently a second one that got away. Thankfully, they did find the girl in the back seat, unconscious due to the wreck. She turned out okay, but it was all a terrifying moment for both of us. Another one I remember was where the girl had already been abducted, and she had managed to call us without the person knowing. This actually occurred around midday, though. I answered and immediately did not get a response. It sounded like the phone was in a pocket or something, like you would do trying to muffle the phone or hide it. And that's when I started hearing someone talking very quietly. I could make out, Please, just let me go. I won't say anything. If anyone asks, I'll say I didn't see your face. I didn't know who it was. And then I could hear someone responding and... It would occasionally get louder, like they were getting closer, or shouting, maybe. Saying, No, you're lying. You already wanted me locked up. It's not fair. I just want to see my baby girl again. So, it was sounding like a domestic case here already. And they tried to reason with them, and this is where they started getting smart. They said something like, I can talk to the caseworker and tell them you're doing better, that you have your own place. If it's not too far, I could just bring her over myself, and we're still in... And then she named a local city. The guy answered, though. He said, no, we're in... Name of another city nearby. Okay, so we're narrowing down a location. Great. Unfortunately, we were only getting a ping from one cell tower, so we were having troubles narrowing down an area. So she would end up helping us with that, too. Then he started screaming again about how she was lying, and I could hear a smacking sound and a muffled yelp. Then, I'm not sure if he was just talking and not making full sentences, or if I was just hearing pieces of the conversation again, but I heard something about, if missing Kaylee, live with me and you need to disappear. Then she started begging him to be reasonable here, and she told him to calm down so his neighbors in the apartment next to him didn't hear him yelling. So we knew that we were in an apartment complex. Then, things started to head south. I heard him yelling about a phone, then I heard, Where is it? She said she hadn't seen it and mentioned her phone being left at her place, and that maybe he left it there as well. Then she suggested he stay calm and go across the street to the FedEx and ask to use their phone, and she promised to stay and answer it when she found it. So now we had a city, an apartment complex across from a FedEx. We were able to narrow it down pretty quickly, and I matched up with the towers, so we started sending units to the location. 
and that's when he started to get louder and meaner. Again, he called her a liar. I heard something crashing, and then she started screaming. She started using his name, saying, Stop! Please, don't do this! And then I could hear, Can't breathe! And heavy gasping. Then he found the phone. He said hello, and all I could think to say was hello back. And then he screamed no, there was a loud smashing sound, and then the call ended. I tried calling back, but it just went to voicemail, but he said his name in the voicemail too, which did confirm his name. I was worried about the woman's safety since I had no idea what happened. But I heard them call for paramedics, and the description sounded similar to the call I got, and it was later confirmed to me that it was the same place. She survived, though, but I know she had some pretty serious injuries, too. There were plenty of others that I got about stalkings or abductions that I didn't get a resolution on, and they tear you up. Knowing that you may have been the last person they talked to... The state I'm in also has some of the highest abduction and human trafficking cases, so it's always something on my mind. All I can tell you is to try to be aware of your surroundings, and if any part of you feels like something is off, report it. Don't go somewhere alone. Tell someone, call 911, just something. If anything, those people can offer to help or at least try to track your phone. Just take care of yourself and your fellow neighbors. Whatever your beliefs as far as the paranormal, I'll just say that these two instances are 100% true. I experienced them. I've always believed in the paranormal... Because I feel, how could anyone be positive that something doesn't exist? Even if I haven't seen little gray men or Bigfoot, hundreds of people have. Even so, I've been blessed, or cursed, with a very practical and analytical mind. I watch real ghost hunting shows with a grain of salt, always asking how could this have been faked. And many times, it is fake. But not all. And many things have happened to me that I dismissed as something else. So, I'm only telling you these things that I can't dismiss. My first experience occurred at a famous seaside restaurant in California. It's been featured on numerous ghost hunting shows, as well as on Unsolved Mysteries. I lived about 30 minutes from the place, but I hadn't been there. I finally got to have dinner there with a boyfriend. I was fascinated, asking the employees about their experiences with their infamous specter. See, I was happy to have a paranormal experience as long as I wasn't alone. At some point in the evening, I had to use the restroom. I asked my boyfriend to walk with me after I realized the restroom was outside the dining area and down a long, deserted hallway. 
He didn't want to wait right outside the women's room door, but he waited near the entrance to the hallway. So I was in there, alone. Just my luck, no one else had to use the restroom. I went into the second of the two stalls and did my thing, and suddenly the hair on the back of my neck began standing up. I didn't hear anything. It was just a feeling, so I told myself that I was just being paranoid because of the dark, scary hallway, and I'd psyched myself out. Still, I was very relieved when a minute later someone else came into the restroom, and I was no longer alone. She went into the other stall, and I came out of mine and washed my hands. And that's when I noticed that there was no one in the other stall. The door was resting open as it had been. Clearly empty. There was no one else anyone could go in the small restroom, yet I heard all the noises, the outside door squeaking open and closed, footsteps, and someone closing and locking the stall door right next to me. Yet... I was completely alone. My heart was beating out of my chest. I ran out of there, down the hall, and into my boyfriend's arms. Months later, I learned that the women's restroom was one of the most haunted places in the building. I'm glad I hadn't known that before I went in there, or I never would have been able to relieve myself. This next story happened in a house that I'd bought with the same boyfriend. It was a small house, built in the 40s. There was nothing creepy about the house, but it wasn't long before we had some strange little things happen. I heard a man clear his throat behind me when I was home alone. Some items that I'd put on the floor and leaned up against the wall got knocked over. Just little things like that. But the weirdest thing that happened to me in that house were the knocks. They always seemed to happen when I was home alone, in whatever room I was. There were two loud knocks on the window. It sounded exactly like someone outside came up to the window and knocked on it. Always two good, loud raps. The first time... I was lying in bed one morning and I heard two knocks on my bedroom window. Just a quick knock-knock. The thing is, my bedroom was in the very back of the house facing the backyard. And the backyard was not accessible except from inside the house. It was fully fenced, very long backyard, and anyone who came from the street in front couldn't get to it, because it was a very narrow passage that we'd blocked to keep anyone out. I'd been awake when it happened, so I got out of bed and went to the window to see who it could have possibly been. Of course, there was no one there. There was no one anywhere in the backyard. The next time it happened, I was in the kitchen, home alone, again, and there were two raps on the kitchen window. It was daytime again, and our kitchen faced the carport. Of course, there was nobody there. After a few more times, I told my boyfriend and my older son about it, 
and neither of them believed me. They teased me about it, saying that I kept dreaming that people were knocking on the windows. So, one day while I was taking a shower, the knocks happened right on the shower window. It was so close to me and so unexpected. I actually jumped. At this time, I was not home alone, so I thought maybe my boyfriend or son was playing a joke on me, and I kind of laughed it off. I knew it would be hard to get to that window, though, because it faced the blocked, narrow side of the house, and right outside of it were rose bushes with thorns. Later, they both swore that they hadn't done it. They were very serious, and I could tell that they were telling the truth. They also said they had not heard the knocks, so they still didn't believe me. Only one time do I remember it happening at night. This time I was in the third bedroom that we used as an office, in the back of the house. It also faced the inaccessible backyard, and it was late and dark. My curtains were closed, and I was doing something on the computer, and when the two loud knocks hit that window, I was too scared to even look out the curtains. This only went on for a few months, but it happened a lot. And every time it occurred in whatever room I happened to be in at the time, I never heard it from another room, no one else heard it either, until one night. On this night, I had gone to bed and my boyfriend and son were in the living room watching a movie. The next day, they told me that at about 1am, they heard two quick loud knocks on the living room window. There was no knock on the front door, which was right next to the window, and they looked out the window and of course, no one was there. It finally happened to someone else in a room that I did not happen to be in, and they finally believed me. So, I'm not actually a dispatcher, but one of the medical first responders, so I get the calls from the dispatchers. I've had some pretty scary situations, but there were also some calls where you really do make a difference, and those are the moments that you have to hold on to this job. One that I'll never forget was from a dispatcher who said a young boy had called in that his dad was unresponsive and bleeding, and that he may have been shot. They gave me the address to a residence, so I was expecting a robbery or something at first, and it solidified when I showed up as well as two cop cars. When I got inside, the boy was sitting on the couch next to his dad, crying, and the man was in a recliner-style chair next to him. His eyes were glazed over, and he wasn't responding to his son or anything that I was saying. I didn't see any gunshot wounds looking over his body at first, but... I did see a bottle of alcohol and a few bottles of pills nearby as well as a used-up cigarette in his lap. I started to check for his vitals when he started foaming from the mouth and his eyes were rolling back. That's when this kid started losing it more. He was crying and asking if he was going to be okay, 
I wasn't good at explaining these types of things to kids, unfortunately, so I was thankful that a cop came in and escorted him outside to calm him down. After getting him in a better position to clear his airway and stop convulsing, we have to start life-saving procedures, being oxygen, the fluids we give to people that OD, and things like that. We started losing him, but thankfully we're able to at least stabilize him and get him in the ambulance. We had to have him on the bed, of course, so as I was bringing him out, I then noticed a woman with the kid and he was screaming for his dad and at us just begging us to save him. That was such an awful feeling. I couldn't assure the kid that I could save his dad. I couldn't calm him down and... I wasn't even sure if his dad would make it based on his state. After that call, I had to take some time off to gather myself. I later found out that it was an attempt on his life. The only thing we could really think about the gunshot was that the kid saw a burn on him from the cigarette that fell in his lap and he knew his dad had a gun. I was at least thankful he didn't use it. I know he survived because his ex-wife actually wanted to thank us for saving him. She said they recently found out he'd had cancer and didn't want to put his family through the pain of watching him die slowly. I don't understand some people's reasonings, but it's none of my business to know, and I have no reason nor room to judge them. All I want is to save their lives, and that's what's important. I am glad he lived, and I do hope it's for the best for that family. Another call I remember was for a kid, called in by their sibling. They said their brother was throwing up blood, and she was scared, and didn't know what to do. When I arrived, the front door was wide open, so I hollered in when the little girl came to get me. She had to be maybe seven or eight, and her brother wasn't much older. I tried asking what had happened, and she didn't seem to want to talk about it. I've seen that before. When it was an accident and the kid feels like they're to blame or that they will get in trouble. I always tried to let them know that they did good by calling us to try and just make them feel better, but she said she didn't do it. The cops are here and they're trying to talk to the girl at this point, while I try to figure out what happens to the boy. He had blood coming out of his nose and mouth and was hardly responsive. He'd been crying and was groaning, I'm sure because of the pain. However, I also noticed his lips were starting to turn blue, like he wasn't getting oxygen. I started to check his chest and that's when I noticed all the bruising. It was long, like from his chest down towards his belly button similar to when someone has been hit with something hard or stepped on. So, most likely, this kid has a broken rib and or a collapsed lung. We immediately started the procedures for such and got him loaded into the ambulance. I reported to the officers to maybe get more info from the girl because I can at least tell you that she could not have done that and that's when I noticed that there were no parents or adults to be found. I didn't know if there was a break-in, were the parents abducted, did something happen to them? This one I was curious about because the boy was in a terrible shape. 
I later learned from one of the officers on scene that they finally got the little girl to explain more. It was just the mom. She often got drunk and would disappear for days, and that the boy would try to take care of them and feed them what they had. He was actually closer to 14, I believe, but he was so malnourished and small that I thought he was younger than that. Then, when mom was home, she would beat the little girl and the boy tried to stop her and protect her. This last time, though, the brother stepped in front of her to stop and she raged out on him. She hit him, knocked him to the ground, stomped on him, and even tried to smother him. He laid in the room holding his sister's hand while their mom chilled in the living room, watching TV and getting drunk. When she left the house, the sister went to the neighbors and called 911 to save her brother. I really feel like she saved his life after he saved hers. Thankfully, the mother was caught, as she ended up coming back home that night too, and they arrested her. I learned about a lot of this from a cop and court hearing as I was a witness to the abuse, or more so the damage of the abuse. I didn't hesitate to do it either. This was one that really got to me, and it made me better with kids. I can explain things better, keep them calm, just things like that, because they don't know what's happening, and in some cases, they may even think they're to blame, like this one. They just need it to be explained to them, and to be reassured just as much as anyone else in such a scary situation. So, you just have to give them the time of day. A few years ago, I don't remember exactly when, my husband and I were talking about random things, and I remembered that it was mentioned that I'd never actually been camping. Like... I'd camped in my backyard as a kid, but I had never had an actual camping trip. This was apparently the wrong thing to have mentioned to him, because within the week we were making plans, or more so he was making plans, to have a camping trip within the month. He went all out on it too. He found a nearby campground that wasn't expensive, he bought all of the equipment, and he got everything ready to go in what felt like a couple of days. So, the day came for us to get on the road and get to the campground. We packed up all of our clothes and daily items, got the stuff in the car, and headed out. I admit, I've never been much of a nature lover. As a kid... I was more into staying inside and playing my Nintendo than going out and hiking, or swimming, or whatever. Yeah, I know. That sounds like a boring childhood, but it was mine, and it was what I liked. So, needless to say, when we got to the actual campground and it was nothing but empty space and trees, I was a bit enamored. It was gorgeous. He'd found a spot that was near a small waterfall that was over a small pool of water. On top of that, it was 
pretty isolated, in that there were no campers anywhere near our spot. Once we got our tent set up and were confident that we were good to go, I was super excited and eager to take a hike around the area. I had brought my digital camera and wanted to get some pictures of anything and everything we could, and I absolutely did. We walked around and got a picture of some wildflowers, I got a few bird shots and even got a picture of a deer. As we were hiking, we ended up in a small section of the trees that looked like it had been recently cleared out, like someone had been staying there in a tent or something, and had recently left. As we approached the cleared out section, the smell of something dead hit me, and hard. It didn't take me long to figure out what the smell was coming from. Nearby, we found the carcass of a deer that looked like it had been killed, bled, and then partially eaten, but then left to rot. It made me a bit sick, but my husband looked pretty angry and mentioned that it's actually illegal to leave your kills like that, and that we should go back to our spot and report it to the game warden. When we got back... I let him do all of that since I had no idea about any of it. I hopped into the tent and started going through all of my pictures that I had taken, and I was super happy with how things were going, minus the dead animal thing. After he had gotten done talking to the game warden, he mentioned that we should consider turning in since it was getting late, and I agreed. We stayed up for a little while and just kind of enjoyed each other's company. After a couple of hours, I started dozing off, so he zipped up the tent, and we decided to sleep for the night. Then, after a few hours, I was awoken by the strangest thing. Rain hitting my face. At first, I didn't think anything of it. We were out in the woods and sleeping in a tent after all. And then it hit me that, yes, we were in a tent, but the tent was sealed, and there shouldn't be any water coming in at all. My eyes shot open, and I immediately freaked out. The door to our tent was completely unzipped and open. I shook my husband awake and told him that the tent door was open. At first, he thought that we must have just left it open, and then I explained to him that I hadn't left the tent since we went to sleep, and he hadn't either. Once he sat up and realized what I was saying, he agreed that it was weird. He stepped out of the tent with our camping flashlight and looked around in the woods for anything, but then came back in and told me that there was nothing out there. We both just kind of had to accept it for what it was, and we confirmed that nothing was missing, so it was just a weird situation. Well, it got weirder. In the morning, after we were fully awake and had eaten breakfast, I decided I wanted to show him some of the pictures that I had taken the day before on our hike. I turned on my camera, and I went to the pictures, which immediately takes you to the last picture that was taken. There... On the screen was a picture of myself and my husband sleeping in the tent. The timestamp 
was around two in the morning on the night before, which seriously scared the hell out of me. I immediately showed him the picture and mentioned the whole tent door being opened thing. I was panicking. He, of course, told me to calm down, and then I told him that whoever it was that had opened our tent was able to reach past me, grab my camera, and take a picture of us without me noticing. My camera was right by my head. I don't think the weight of what could have happened really hit him, but it was definitely apparent to me. If this person was any more of a psycho, I likely would have been dead. At my request, we ended up packing up all of our stuff and heading out to the office for the campgrounds to file a report. They took the info, and then probably did nothing with it. But at least they were aware of the situation. That was the one and only time that I have ever been camping, and I don't think I will ever feel comfortable doing it again. Mostly because I don't know if this person had malicious intent, or if this was just some dumb prank or something. Either way, it really scared the living hell out of me. This story happened back when I was in college, around 1998. I went to school on a converted military base. A base was shut down and a small part of it was now a campus. This means that there were a lot of back roads, etc., that were essentially abandoned, other than the local and military police that still patrolled the site. I lived in a small apartment on the base, converted office quarters, and my girlfriend at the time was house-sitting about a half hour away. Near 1am, she called me and woke me up, panicked, because she thought she heard someone walking around outside of the house and asked me to come stay with her. I was worried, so I got up, threw some clothes on, and got moving. There was a way to save some time by cutting through the abandoned parts of the base. Sort of a shortcut, and since I was in a hurry, this seemed like the best way. There was no power to this part of the base, so the streetlights weren't working. It was pitch black aside from the light from my headlights. I'm on this back road, and suddenly I see flashing lights being pulled over. Granted, I was speeding, I was in a hurry, but I was also speeding sort of in the middle of nowhere. I pull over. The officer gets out, does the standard license and registration. I hand it over, and I tell him about my phone call, and I was just wanting to make sure my girlfriend was safe. He goes back to his car and just sits there just sitting. A few minutes later, another police car pulls up. Through the rearview mirror reflection, I could see them talking and staring at me. Finally, the new officer comes up to my car and says, get out of the car. I ask him why, and he just repeats the order. Now that I'm out of the car, 
I realize both cars had two officers in them. So it's me and four police officers. They have me stand to the side while they start searching my car. One of them turns to me and says, You know, you seem to be in a big hurry in the middle of the night. What were you running from? I was kind of shocked at the accusation, but I told him the story that I had said to the first officer about my girlfriend's call. He turns away. The next officer tells me my car is pretty nice, and by how late it was and how fast I was driving, it seems like I stole it. This was odd, and I pointed out the registration and my license all match. The officers start talking again. One stands by me as the other three group together. Then, out of nowhere, two more cars and four more officers show up. Keep in mind, this is on a deserted road at around 1.30am with no lights. The seven of them start talking while an officer stays with me. One goes back to my car and pulls out a bag of tortillas that I assume fell out of a grocery bag earlier that day. He then looks at the other officer and says, This kid was speeding in the middle of the night with food and supplies in his car. Sounds like someone who did something and needed to get away and hide for a while. At this point, I'm both scared and mad at the absurdity of what is happening. Not to mention, still worried about the call from my girlfriend. They all look at me, waiting for a reply, and I don't really know what to say. Finally, one officer says, You see the wear on these tires? This wear is from someone who does a lot of high-speed driving. You must like to speed, huh? So, I say, Yep, all the freaking time. Angrily. And at that moment, I wished I could grab the words and take them back. The officer's face froze like this was the moment he'd been waiting for. He looked at the other seven police, and then went back to his car and opened the trunk. I have no idea why. The officer who was standing near me then asked, Where are you from? I replied, Marin County. Another officer hears me and says, No, that's the town of Barbara Boxer, but I won't hold that too much against you. Boxer was a senator. I wish I could say I planned this, but out of my incredibly nervous mouth flew, Yeah, Diana Feinstein too. She's my neighbor. Feinstein was a senator at that point. The truth was we lived near each other, and I met her once, but that was it. The trunk cop overhears, What did that kid say? The officer next to me says, The kid says he's neighbors with Feinstein. They all pause and look at each other. Trunk officer closes his trunk, comes up to me and gets in my face and says, Get the hell out of here. I get back in my car. The whole episode took 45 minutes. I drove to a main roadway and finally got to my girlfriend, who was also worried because a 30-minute drive had taken me over an hour. We didn't have cell phones then. I still have no idea what was going on or what would have happened if my nervous mouth had not just blabbed that out.
and this story is 100% true. And a friend of mine is actually the reason I finally realized how serious this was, and decided to post the story. And that part is at the end, but here goes. So, I was talking to an old friend of mine, who told me that a mutual acquaintance we had, but a man that she thought was a friend, had sexually assaulted her. I told her how sorry I was, and that stats say, it's not usually a random guy, it's a person you're familiar with. But, then, there are other times. Times like this. So, my girlfriend and I go to a pool hall, and are drinking and playing pool. We happen to find the only other couple there, and link up. Pretty soon... It's obvious my girlfriend is way too drunk for a low-key place like this, so we leave with them. Before we drove to the other place, we stupidly drank more tequila with them. The new place has a much smaller front part of the bar, but the back area is spacious and leads to a back alley. The drunkenness is creeping up on my girlfriend, and she's getting more sloppy by the minute, almost. I go to take a pee, and as I come back, I see the couple we met and had come to this place with in a corner, kind of looking at me and then looking in my girlfriend's direction. She's found two other young women to talk to, but now also two men have come up to her, and one even has his arm around her. I stay calm. Cooler heads always prevail. I walk up, Hey, baby. And then she's like, Hey, baby. All drunk. And the man that had his arm around her that she was oblivious to now removed his arm. But when he did, he and his friend made eye contact and nodded, ever so slightly. I'm eyeballing both of them and can tell they've barely spoken to the other girls who already had drinks in their hands and they offer to get us drinks. Us, as in the table. Again, the other girls have drinks. I try to decline, but my sloshed girlfriend is thinking it's nice. One guy comes back with a drink for me and one for my girl. Nobody else was given drinks by these men. He hands my girlfriend hers first, and then me mine. As she starts to lift her lips... I put my hand over it and whisper, You've had enough. You're done. Then, as both these creeps look at me raise my cup, I obviously drop it right on the guy's shoe who gave it to me and go, Oops. Not that I'm sorry, not my bad, just strong, unwavering eye contact, an icy tone in the word, Oops. And that's it and he looks me right into my eyes and says, Huh, it's okay. I'll get you another one. With the most sinister look that I have ever seen. We both knew what him and his friends, or relative, were doing. And they looked alike, but more on that later. So I then grabbed my girlfriend's hand very hard and said, We're leaving. Now. She starts to protest, and I grab her arm so hard that 
Had she not been drunk, she would have yelped in pain and growled in her ear. If you try to make a scene, I'm going to pull out my knife and kill anyone that tries to separate us. I will pick you up and run. We have to leave now, baby. Trust me. And she kind of just understood through her drunk state how serious I was. I was so scared that she was going to cause a scene, have the bouncer toss me, and be alone with those wolves. I was scared of us getting separated. We got home safe, and I cried. I remember that last 100-foot walk to the car in the dark, holding her up. I was glad we didn't ingest any of the drinks that we were offered that were clearly spiked with something. Now, back to before. This happened in the town of Lodi, California. Small town. I didn't recognize, nor did these men seem to know anyone. Both were Arabic, well-dressed, and decent-looking. So I tell my friend this, and she gasps. The neighboring town, Stockton, had the same thing happen. A lot. And successfully. At this one bar called Rooftops on Sundays. They had flyers warning people about them, and a description too. There was a Facebook page dedicated to identifying these men and a hotline for tips. These guys were pure evil. They were going to drug us, toss me, and do God knows what else to my sweetheart. I shudder thinking about if I had been just a little more drunk, a little more off, or less sharp that night, what could have happened. So, this is one of many strange stories that I have. This one is just weird, though. Very weird. And it scared the daylights out of me when it happened. So, anyways, this happened, say, about a year ago. It was nighttime, probably around 7 to 8 p.m., my dad, my brother, and two of my cousins were outside in our garage. Our garage is connected slash right next to our barn that leads out into a big pasture connected to two more. So, my dad sends me out with a small bucket to get some water for the alfalfa, basically made of grass, but you'll have to look it up to know more about it, for our horses. I take the bucket, and I carry it out of the garage by the handle, now from the garage door, and I have to walk past the open barn area, then past the second half of our barn and then turn right. As I'm just turning the corner to walk down the field to our water hose, I see down at the end of the open field where our third horse pasture is, next to a tree, a weird figure walk strangely from the tree to the left. Keep in mind, this is around 7, and where I live, it gets dark really quick about an hour before that. As I'm just standing there scared out of my mind, I immediately drop the bucket that I'm holding really fast and I booked it. I took off running toward the garage door. 
I then hollered to everyone in the garage that I just saw something at the end of the field. My oldest cousin, we'll call him Drake, at the time he was 20, and he grabs a flashlight and starts walking to the side of the barn. He glances into the barn for a second, and then shines the flashlight down the field, and while he starts off to where I told him I saw it, he motions his arm back, saying, Stay here. But me being me, I didn't listen, and followed anyhow. Walking down the field, he's asking me questions about the thing that I saw. I say stuff like, It was half white on top, half black on the bottom. It had no face, really skinny, and its legs and arms were really long and skinny too. It was also very tall, taller than our horses, and one of them is 16 hands. That's saying something. He then asked me questions like, Could it have been the neighbor? I knew it couldn't have been my neighbor because he's a fat guy and surely wasn't as tall as the thing that I saw. We get down to the spot near the tree, and he shines his flashlight around for a bit. The thing was gone by then. I thought, it probably left hearing me yell about it to everyone. I did holler it pretty loud, to be honest. After finding nothing, we both walked back up, and I helped to feed the horses. I then feed my dog and go inside while everyone else is still outside in the garage doing whatever they were doing after we fed the horses. Several months later, while I'm out with my dad and three of my cousins, not including Drake, and my brother, we're out going to three different cemeteries, what happens at all of them is for another time, and when me and my cousins and brother get home, the oldest cousin visiting tells me about the stuff she saw that day at the cemeteries we went to. Then, I bring up the figure that I mentioned earlier in the story. What she tells me next, it kind of shook me a bit, no joke. She starts saying that she saw the same figure with the same features and everything in my mom's garden a while back, violently tearing out my mom's plants while sitting on its knees. I pictured it in my mind and it scared me. I then said, that explains why Mama found half her garden tore out that one day. My cousin then says, Yeah, and she thought it must have been a deer or maybe a rabbit or a raccoon. I'm still not sure what it was that I saw. I do hope you liked my story, as I enjoyed sharing it. And also, what do you think it could have been that I saw that night? When I was in my early 20s, I had an apartment right off a major road adjacent to a gas station. They had this deal where you pay $10 for a cup and get free refills for a year. I love unsweetened iced tea, and they actually kept theirs fresh. I got to know the staff pretty well, and I went probably once or twice a day. They even gave me an award for favorite customer, which was crazy sweet. One day, I was tipsy with a friend, going for more beer, and there was a man with a super cute puppy. 
We asked if we could pet it, and the little monster just jumped into my arms, and my beer-warmed heart melted. He tells me the dog is blah-blah certified. It was a flea-encrusted mutt, but I loved him. So he would sell him to me for $800. After letting him know that I couldn't afford a dog, and then thanking him for letting me play, I tried to set the bugger down, but it cried and clawed its way back on me for kisses. Jokingly, I said, well, I guess he chose me. I took two exaggerated and slow steps away, and then asked him to help get the noodly puppy so I could wander off to Beertown. Sad to leave my new furry soulmate, but didn't think anything negative about it until the next day or two. I go to get tea, and I say hello to my friend, the cashier, when she starts freaking out. The puppy-selling guy had come in and interrogated the woman about who I am and where I lived. He came back with a video camera to record her, and then he called the cops to report me or force them to give up my super-secret identity. Meanwhile, I was literally an eye-view on my second-story balcony, smoking cigarettes and cramming like six people on my tiny ledge. The cops left because he's obviously unbalanced, and he was forced to leave as well. That wouldn't stop our hero of the story, though. He was fighting for his puppy's welfare after I ruthlessly tried to steal him and, I don't know, eat him? Maybe my kisses were menacing? He had a very noticeable truck. It had a camper on the back covered in palms and creepy Jesus conspiracy BS painted on the actual truck. He would park outside and await my return. The staff all bonded together and didn't know me where I lived or anything about the ginger biatch. I would check out my window before rushing in to get updates, and truly thought that he would move on. One night, at 3am, someone starts pounding on my door. I call the cops, palm truck is in my driveway but gone when the cops arrive. I ask to put a restraining order, but... Apparently, a vague description of a describable truck is not enough. 3am the next night, the nights after that, I get a letter. But I kid you not, it's written on the back of a Bud Light lime box. It offers me a white kitten and college tuition if I give this anonymous novelist a call. I had a tuxedo cat that loved to sit in the window and scream. So, I brought the Bud Light offer to the police station, and one guy was in tears laughing, as was I, while apologizing because he knew how terrified I was, but it was a super freaking awkward situation. I had two police cruisers parked outside my house for a good month. It was a good spot downtown to await danger anyway. And then one day... There was a half-naked man stabbing a tree in my yard, and the same cops showed up and pointed at me on my second-story balcony laughing, and came up and had a beer after his shift. Life is weird.
So, I was visiting my girlfriend this weekend, and it was around 3 a.m. when we decided to nip outside for a smoke. When we have a cigarette, we usually stand in an alleyway by the side of her house to be out of the way. Well, I usually stand on one side so I could have a view of the environment. In order to move out of the way, or if there's anything that could be a danger to us, like animals, scooters, etc. So, we're talking, when suddenly on the main road to my right, I spot a shadow of a person walking past, or at least it looked like a shadow, as it was an individual dressed all in black, a large black carry-all backpack, and a black face covering with their hood up. I could tell they had on a face covering, as they kept turning their head left and right as they walked past, showing only a partial amount of pale skin masked in black. I think nothing of this until around two minutes later, the same person walked back the way they originally passed from, only more observant and hurried in a slight jog. This wasn't the first time I've experienced something like this, as around three years ago, I was living at my grandparents. It was around 3 a.m., and I went downstairs to get a drink. In their house, they had a habit of only partially closing the kitchen blinds, leaving around a third of the window still viewable. I noticed a strange light gleaming in from the window, so I decided to look through. Big mistake. Looking back at me, in my neighbor's garden was a man in a black balaclava, wearing all black with his hood up and wearing a black backpack. The light which I had seen was an intruder light which had activated as he was trying to break into their kitchen. My grandparents and the neighbor's garden were separated by a small brick wall, as the gardens and homes were joined, a terrace property. So I blinked, and he was still staring at me. He was as still as anything, probably afraid that he had been caught. I tried discreetly calling the police on my mobile, as I also tried to put my shoes on to apprehend the individual. But, as I approached the back door, he'd vanished. Shortly, the police arrived and searched every garden in the entire area, but... He was gone. Amazingly, as the garden walls which separated the gardens from the alleyway were huge. A couple of weeks later, at around 4.30am, I was making my way out of my grandparents' home to work, approaching the usual pathway and alleyway to the metro link, when a man, same description, stopped me and told me, Hey, have you got a phone? There's a fire in that alleyway. He got pretty close to me. I told him I didn't have a phone, and then he said, I didn't start it, but had a lighter in his hand. He was also wearing a full-faced balaclava. I kept walking. He walked the other way and was staring at me as he walked. He then began to run as I approached the alleyway. And he wasn't lying, as a large bin had been set on fire. 
I went into my local shop and got some stuff to extinguish the fire, extinguished it as best as I could, and then called the emergency services. Police and fire arrived, still not sure if they ever caught this guy, but I'm certain that it was the same guy. Seeing this other wanderer in black and brought back this memory and I thought I would share it with you all. It was super creepy to look out my window at 3am and have someone staring back at me. I have four daughters. One summer it became clear to me that the second oldest had clairvoyant abilities. She was eight at the time. My family and I were staying in an apartment for our summer holidays in Ilfracum in Devon. Now, in this particular apartment, strange things started to happen. Stuff would go missing and then appear on the living room table the next day, and even my mom saw a ghost of a little girl. After a while, my eight-year-old confesses to me that she was terrified by a see-through figure who kept coming to stand in front of her and then walk into her, which caused her to shiver. It was a man with a dark hat on, and she drew a picture of it for me. The man had a cloak, but no visible face, and just a hat on top. I was very creeped out by this, but I tried to stay calm and reassure my daughter that this thing couldn't hurt her. After we returned home, the situation continued to cause problems, but now my daughter was seeing what looked to her like ink falling through water instead of the figure. She was very afraid. In the following years, she started to see visions and had some premonitions of terrorist attacks before they even happened, namely the Paris attack and one which occurred in New York in which she saw buildings and a crossing as it was reported the next day in the area where the attack took place. We live in the UK. My daughter had a lot of visions, and she told me that they often looked to her like cartoons. Sometimes she would see a slideshow of faces. In 2016, the year of the referendum in the UK, she started to see what she described to me as a face with a creepy smile which had wires connected to the back of its head, giving it the appearance of a robot. It said to her, nothing will be okay again, and it was there every time she closed her eyes. Other things that happened are seeing ghostly people everywhere. Sometimes it would be the whole person, sometimes just the person's feet or hair. People of all ages, sometimes white circles drifting around. Once, we visited Warwick Castle and took some pictures of her. Some strange entity appeared next to her in the photo, and when my back was turned, she deleted it from my phone. Today, she's nearly 18. If I ever ask her about these things, she now pretends not to know what I'm talking about. She says she doesn't want to think about it. Maybe she's learned to block it out, or maybe she's in denial... I've often wondered if her date of birth has something to do with all this, as she was born on the winter solstice.
is kind of short. It's two stories that I remember very boldly. I do think ghosts are real. I always have. I completely believe that my grandmother's house is haunted by a soul of a high school boy. Her son, when he was younger, had a friend who was shot in the driveway by a cop. I've always been sure it was him who might be in the house. My family is skeptical about ghosts and such, but one thing we all agree on is that there is something wrong with the house. My grandparents' house has an add-on to their home, and you can tell because you can hear the steps from downstairs. I remember one summer when I had slept all day. I woke up a bit later in the day. The sun was already setting when I got up. I was in the kitchen, getting food, when I heard steps from upstairs. I decided that I should go tell my grandparents that I was awake finally. I heard steps for a few more minutes while I ate. I assumed they were just cleaning or getting ready for bed. I went upstairs and found that their door was locked. They did that often. I knocked a few times, calling for them to let me in. Grandma, I'm awake. Can I come in? And then I heard a male answer, yes, followed by quick stomps on the other side. The door never opened. My grandma never played jokes on me. I assumed it could have been my grandfather since he always messed with me. I knock again and said, Grandpa, open the door already, which prompted my cousin, whose room was right across from them, to open her door and tell me that they were not home. They went out a long time ago. I was confused for a minute. I asked her if she was sure that they were not home by now. She said she was sure because she still had the key to the room that they gave her. She opened their door and, sure enough, no one was there. I told her and she thought I was joking, but I was dead serious about it. She was skeptical as always, until later on when she'd had a similar experience, where she was sure that I was sleeping on the couch downstairs one day. She had called for me a few times trying to wake me up before giving in and going down the stairs. But when she got to the bottom of the stairs, I came inside from the front door, from school, that day. She told me this story in a dead serious tone. I believed her, and from then on she too believed that the house was haunted. I don't live there and I never will again. I just think about the many incidents like these. I just find these the most interesting, all things considered, though it would be fun to share the other incidents. To start this off, I'm 16 years old and a girl, but... My body and personality have always been much older than I am. This took place when I was about 10, right after my mom had went to jail again, and it's not the only bad thing to have happened to me. In fact, my very religious and superstitious family believes that I was just born with bad luck, but this takes the cake. My mother had been dating who we will call... 
Adam for quite a while, and my sister loved him, but me being young and protective of my mother, I did not. I'd always been told that I look just like my mom, and I never believed people until now, but the day it happened was a week after she had just went back to prison for violating parole and being found in possession of narcotics. Adam had come home begging my grandmother to let him take me out for ice cream, claiming that my mother had told him he could. We had later found out that this was not true. My grandmother was going to let him, but I had no intention on going with him, and even told him to go screw himself, much to my grandmother's displeasure, so I wasn't allowed to go for cursing. All the entire month after that, he would show up at my school during lunch to bring me food, which I wouldn't eat, and then told my teachers I was to go home with him, not on the school bus. So I snuck on the bus with my friend, and even showed up at our field trip to another state for four days. But that is where it all happened. While waiting in line for food, a cop car came speeding up to the picnic area, and quickly two police officers had actually tackled Adam. It turns out that he had done things to, and gotten rid of two little girls around my age there, and admitted to wanting to do the same to me. My family now respects my bad feelings about people, and I dropped out of public school after a few girls from my grade found out about it. They would taunt me and call my mother all kinds of names, and, well, when you have the height and strength of a middle schooler at ten, it was easy for me to lose my temper, and I'd gotten in loads of trouble. So, remember, that sometimes... That gut feeling about people can be right. That was today's episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. Thank you so very much for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed these scary stories. If you want to support the channel further, please do consider checking out my YouTube channel. Just search As The Raven Dreams on YouTube and subscribing. You can also join the channel or go to the, my Patreon for early access to all of my content. All of it's appreciated and never expected. But if it happens, thank you. All that said, friends, I will see you on the next episode of the As The Raven Dreams podcast. But of course, until then... Sleep well.